1: Today we are lamenting the Broncos' first shutout since 1992. That was before Will Keyes was even born. And we're also debating the quarterback situation moving forward. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to
0: show for all things Broncos.
1: Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast, presented by Mile High Huddle. It's time to drop some knowledge. It's time to exercise some demons. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is Will Keyes, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, my new favorite TV show got canceled, got pulled right out from under me today by ESPN. I don't know how I'm going to be able to go on without Barstool Van Talk.
2: Well, Chad, I too am devastated with the loss of the beloved Barstool Van Talk. I will say this, it is better to burn out than to fade away. So, you know, one episode is not uh, a full Anthony Scaramucci type term anyway. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But, like I said... Uh, it's going to it's gonna take on a mythical status. I think that, that one episode will live in infamy. You know, 23 minutes of content will be with us forever. But I, I would like to say that um, because of this, we are no longer going to start our own show at ESPN. The, the talks are off the table. Um, they're no longer partners with us. You just so, can that.
1: that they're going to be there with you for the long haul. We were That's thinking right. about taking the Huddle Up podcast that direction, uh, turning it into a TV show. But uh, we just can't trust that the executives over there would, in fact, uh, back us, you know, unequivocally support us in everything we do. But, you know, it it is interesting to see how these major sports media companies are trying to get capitalized on what Barstool Sports is doing and how, you know, they're kind of getting a little too close to the sun. You know, they're they're, they're getting burned and then they back away and they get cold feet. Oh, yeah. Uh, But Barstool, you know, you got to give them props. They're the most unique— sports media uh, company I think right now in the world and even though I don't love a lot of their content um, so much of what they do especially on the podcast side keeps me entertained keeps me feeding the the sports junkie within on the week to week
2: yeah it certainly entertains me being a a 21 year old college-aged male um, in the United States but, you know, they they still got great programming. they still be part of my take three times a week. Listen to uh, Mixtape if you're an NBA guy. They've got a, a great baseball podcast, too. I think it's called Starting Nine. So when you're not listening to this show, of course, Absolutely. Um, plenty of stuff to listen to
1: over at Barstool. We have a lot to get to today. But first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams, without having to risk any funds. It's totally recreational. There are all kinds of prizes. And in today's climate, let's face it, the fantasy industries have made watching football so much more interesting. The stakes are higher, so go to mybookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Now, Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. Each week, we ask that you take some time, whether you're an iTunes user or Stitcher, And rate the show. Leave a creative review because it helps us to grow. It helps us to reach new listeners. If you haven't done that yet, just take a second and go leave a review on the Huddle Up Podcast. You're subscribing, you might as well leave a review, and it helps us out tremendously. Make sure also you're following the show on Twitter at Huddle Up Pod and Mile High Huddle on Twitter and also on Facebook. Uh, We now at three and three, about almost halfway through the season, things seem to be going off the rails. Could go up, could go down. You don't know what's going to happen with your Denver Broncos, and you're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, gang, we just witnessed the first Broncos shutout since 1992. Tommy Maddox was the quarterback. John Elway was injured. I was about 13 years old. I don't think we should lose sight of the historical significance of this dubious feat the Broncos accomplished on Sunday. There's really no need, I think, Will, this week to go through all the particulars as the game that unfolded in Los Angeles basically happened in a similar fashion as it did the week before versus right. the Giants. The Broncos turned the ball over three times. They got down early. They abandoned the run, and a battered and beat down Trevor Simeon winced his way to yet another. Terrible performance, while Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram teed off on it, basically. The Broncos' O-line was subpar yet again. But the Band-Aid at right tackle that was Alan Barber was absolutely atrocious. Barber, for what it's worth, was the worst-graded tackle in the league in Week 7. According to Pro Football Focus, he allowed eight total pressures, including three sacks, one hit, four hurries on 42 pass-blocking snaps. Simeon was basically under constant duress, and he took an absolutely brutal hit from Melvin Ingram that frankly would have killed me. Had I taken that hit, well, my wife would be planning a funeral right now. But but Simeon, he took the 15-yard penalty. He got up. He went back to work, albeit in about as impetitive fashion as possible. For all of the talk, you know, about his baseball frame, his slight frame, etc., Simeon's tough. I'll give him that. He's a tough dude. The Broncos' defense, if we flip the coin, while they did have a few lapses, four that I can think of off the top of my head, they played well enough to win. They held Phillip Rivers and company to just 14 points, with the other seven, of course, coming off a Travis Benjamin punt return in the first quarter. And that happened one possession after the Broncos. I mean, it was a phenomenal feat, stopping the Chargers on downs at the goal line. But as the Bronco offense continues to stink it up, We've worried about yet another locker room rift emerging. We've talked about it. We've written about it uh, at milehighhuddle.com, and it seems, Will, that it's already started a little bit. We're starting to see the cracks in the veneer. Von Miller spoke to it a little bit after the game, a little bit of finger-pointing Chris Harris Jr., and I think it might be happening again before our very eyes. You know, you got the same skill position players, mostly, but you got a new coaching staff, Will. It's mostly a new offensive line. But what's the one common denominator that's left over from last year's you know, locker room rift? The source of it, anyway. It's Trevor Simeon. And yet, the Broncos are sticking with him again this week. My question, Will, is how do you reconcile that fact? The the ineffectual pattern, let's say, that has been established by Bronco offense as captained by Trevor Simeon over the last season and a half that has led to these different locker room tensions. Because I know... You are an ardent Simeon guy.
2: Well, okay, so you talk about the offense not pulling its weight the last two years. Well, you could absolutely go back even three years. To 2015, when they won the Super Bowl, defense was a little bit better back then, and then obviously the offense, you know, showed glimpses of, of being capable. If you think like to that, the first half of that Steelers game under Brock Osweiler, the the Packers game with Peyton Manning, and, and of course this offense has shown flashes too. They're they're really good, I think, in the first Chargers game under some different circumstances. They wouldn't they didn't have a, a left guard playing right tackle, and they had Emmanuel Sanders in that game, and then of course the Dallas game where everything was working for them. So to say that the common denominator is Trevor Simeon's pretty misleading.
1: Well, I'll say this, though. Let me just just say this, though, about 2015. Is that, yes, the Bronco offense in 2015 was certainly not, you know, what we had come to expect from that unit in the three years prior with Peyton Manning. But aside from Peyton Manning's turnovers in, let's say, the first half of the season, once Brock Osweiler got in there, uh, the offense seemed to kind of level out uh, they they had that lapse against the Raiders where Michael Schofield gave up the five sacks, but the offense was putting enough points up uh, to keep the Broncos in that condition they need, where they're able to prey on the on the opposing offense. And then once Peyton Manning came back after his injury, they sat Brock Osweiler. At least the Bronco offense, for all of its its issues at the time, they weren't turning the ball over, and they found a way to run the ball. So I think that's, you know, I think he gets a that that unit, and especially Peyton Manning, is because of the turnovers early on in the season gets a lot of guff for that particular uh season, the production of the offense, but I would just say that, you know, that that's that's a season that kind of they people tend to make a little bit of a mountain I think out of a molehill where, with regard to it being such an atrocious outing by the offense.
2: I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree. I mean, if you look at Peyton Manning's uh, stat line by the time that Brock Osweiler took over. He had nine touchdowns to 17 interceptions. Trevor Simeon's only played six games, but he, and he hasn't been particularly effective, but uh, he's still got eight touchdowns to seven interceptions, so it's not like he's just you know sabotaging every chance to win this week. But, Steve, and your, and your,
1: your point persists. I mean, it has been. This is the third season going on where the Broncos' offense has been far from transcendent.
2: Right, and I think the – Common denominator in that equation. I'm not saying that he played well the last two weeks. He certainly did not. But I defy you to find me uh, a handful, more than a handful of quarterbacks that could play well with a sieve at offensive line. Remember, think of okay, think of the right tackles that they've gone through in the last couple of weeks between Menelik Watson, Billy Turner, and then Alan Alan Barber, who's played, you know. 10 or 11 games at right tackle and is a left guard by trade who was really terrible against, you know, two of the best pass rushers in the game. And three, if you want to go back to last weekend and consider JPP. So you take that into account and then the lack of run, lack of a running game, which I don't think anybody really has, has mentioned. I don't, I never said that Trevor Simeon is a quarterback. That's going to carry you uh, based on, you know, the strength of his arm alone. And I don't think that there are many of those guys in the NFL really. And if you can go get a guy like that in the offseason, go for it. Um, I don't think he's on the roster right now. But Trevor Simeon, when he's provided adequate protection, it doesn't need to be perfect because it wasn't perfect. It certainly wasn't perfect in the first Chargers game. And and neither was it in the in the first um the Dallas one either, where they scored 35 points. But they had a running game. And so he wasn't a sitting duck, as the defense couldn't just pin its ears back and go after the quarterback. There's a little bit of a threat of, you know, we gotta we gotta stay back, we gotta be disciplined. You know, Jamal Charles could sneak right by me. There's not that anymore. Uh, the play calling's been pretty, I, I don't know, conservatives—not really the right word. It's just really uncreative. Well, I saw them. Okay, fit, yeah, 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 sorry. I saw one play where uh, Devontae Booker was split out wide, kind of like. What Kyle Shanahan likes to do, he likes to mm-hmm. split out a running back out wide to get a mismatch with the linebacker. Uh, Simeon hits Booker on a slant. That's a really creative play. Do st- do stuff like that. Don't, up just some drop yardage. St- yeah, don't just drop straight back. And then the final point I'll make is uh, the Demarius Thomas offensive pass interference call was really weak. And, Agreed. And uh, if that isn't called – The Broncos have a chance to score 14-7
1: early in the fourth quarter. It's a much different game. Uh, But, yeah, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, you know, basically over the last, I'll say, four weeks, the NFL – I mean, the blueprint is out, basically, on how to defend the Broncos as quarterback by Trevor Simeon, and that is totally load the box on first and second down. Basically sell out everything you can to stop the run, and in so doing – tempt Trevor Simeon to throw it. The Broncos aren't going to do it. But if they do, uh, it's probably going to be under duress. There might be a run blitz that sneaks through uh, on first or second down. But more often than not, what you get is a third-and-long situation in which Trevor Simeon now has to find a way to make a play. You know, usually on longer uh, down distances like that, the drops are going to be longer, which means he's got – it gives – Pass rushers, more time to get to him, And really what it comes down to, I don't know if you saw this, Will. Cecil Lammy, who I think is a phenomenal football analyst over at 104.3 The Fan, of course. He uh, he charts yeah. plays. I mean, he's like, I mean, we're football nerds, but he's like a football geek to the utmost. And he goes through and he charts each, uh, each game. He charted uh, Trevor Simeon, every throw he made. And if you look at it, I mean, every one of those throws, with the exception of... I if I can think back, like two or three maybe, were short of the sticks. And so it's a formula and a blueprint that has held up for opposing teams, which is just stop the run, dare Trevor Simeon to throw it, and on third down, squat at the sticks. Trevor Simeon's going to take what you give him underneath. You swarm, you tackle. And up to this point, neither Simeon nor the Broncos uh, offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, has been able to find an answer or at the very least the team has been unable to execute an answer in a way that's going to propel the the offense forward.
2: Okay. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, But also, if you're not given time to throw and you're worried about getting sacked on every play, which he is, and and rightfully so, and I think he's kind of developed David Carr syndrome to some extent, um, where he's thinking guys are there, when they're not, and I think that's perfectly a perfectly reasonable thing to happen to a young quarterback um, who's who's been you know under pressure basically his whole career. Uh, that's kind of you know the nature of the the quarterback position. Uh, is, is you'll kind of develop those demons if you're if you're not taken care of, especially um, in the first couple of years of being a starter. So I don't really blame him for, for wanting to get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. I mean, people tend to complain about him not getting the ball out of his hands quickly. And then when he does, and, and he gets it off to like a running back or something, um, then people complain that he's throwing short of the stick. So I don't know. It's kind of a no-win situation. I would just say that, it's fair to criticize him, absolutely, but he's not. People are acting as though he is the only one worthy uh, of of blame. And if you switch out Trevor Simeon with, like they say in baseball, like wins above replacement. If you if you replace someone with a replacement level average league average player, what happens? I don't think that this offense doesn't get better if you uh, if you replace him and put in you know the the theoretical league average quarterback. It doesn't turn into, um, I don't know, the, the 2013 Broncos or even, you know. Sure. The the 2006, 2007 Broncos, I don't think.
1: Well, the thing with that is you're right. And I wrote about this on Monday at milehighhuddle.com talking about, look, you know, my opinion is the Broncos need to bench Trevor Simeon. Right now the only option is Brock Osweiler. And there is no guarantee, there's no guarantee that by putting Brock Osweiler in, he's going to be able to play better football than Trevor Simeon. But where I think you and I might disagree on this subject is sometimes, oftentimes in football, when a quarterback change is made. Because right now, what, what, what's the issue in my mind, the biggest issue, really, what it really boils down to, is, I guess what I should say, is the Broncos need a spark on offense They're not getting it from Trevor Simeon. They're not getting it from anybody else on that team. And an offense lives and dies by the quarterback. And oftentimes, when a quarterback change is made, by virtue of making the change itself, a spark can be created. Because what happens is, let's just go back to 2015. Now, it's slightly different because the quarterback change was originally made because of an injury. Uh, I mean, you could argue maybe that if Peyton Manning wasn't injured and continued to play that badly, he was going to get benched anyway, and you might be right. But at least in this case, he was benched for Brock Osweiler because of his plantar fascia tear. Well, Brock Osweiler came in, and the offense suddenly started moving. They put up points uh, against the Chiefs. Peyton Manning couldn't get anything going. Brock Osweiler came in in the fourth quarter, 14 points. Go on. I mean, He went on. The offense picked up from where it was. It kind of snapped out of this lackadaisical daze that it had been in and all of a sudden started being more consistent and being a little bit more explosive. They won some big games against some tough opponents, including against the New England Patriots, including against the Cincinnati Bengals, who were a very good ball club at the time with the playoffs on the line. And that spark made a difference. Now, in that particular situation, it fizzled toward the end. Brock Osweiler, quarterback, the Broncos in Week 17, five five turnovers by the unit, four of which were on his shoulders. And Gary Kubiak specifically goes, you know what? This is the time Peyton's healthy. We started Brock because of how well he's done up to this point. Let's forget, it's not – I mean, Peyton Manning had to sit. He didn't start Week 17, even though he was healthy, because Brock Osweiler had been doing well. But he, he benched him. Because he felt like the team needed a spark. So really what I'm getting at is just by virtue of of replacing a guy. Now, I'm not saying that, that Osweiler sucks. I don't believe that. We can talk more about that later on in the show. But what I'm saying is just by virtue of making the change, regardless necessarily of whether that quarterback, if there's empirical evidence to suggest he is better than the guy he's replacing, the change itself can spark an offense. A guy comes in, Brock Oswald, he's getting his shot, he's excited. I mean, it can trickle down. And if there's one thing, well, that's really bothered me, especially this season about Trevor Simeon, is there's just no fire in him. You know, he gets we we've praised him at times for his poise and his calm, cool, you know, collected demeanor. And I think there's there are times where that's a strength for him. But an offense takes on the emotional complexion of its quarterback. And what we're seeing from this unit is a team that's basically, in my eyes, almost been lulled to sleep. I mean, there's no energy. And I think a big reason for that, maybe not the only reason, is that there's no energy coming from Trevor Simeon. I mean, we don't see him chase down his, his receivers when they make a big play or, you know, celebrate on a touchdown. I mean, it's been a long time since there was a touchdown, but you get my point. We could We need to see more fire, and maybe a guy – whether it's Brock Osweiler or even down the road if it's Paxton Lynch, comes in, that new energy and excitement could create a spark. And that's what I feel like right now is most missing from the Broncos.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, I'll debate you a little bit more about that later, I guess, when we talk about um, Vance Joseph and his decision. But I think it's most important that there is one person that agrees with me, at least in the state of Colorado, and that's the head coach.
1: Yeah, that's right. And let's talk about that. You know, it was a humiliating loss on Sunday. Vance Joseph came out after the game and said that he never entertained the thought of benching Simeon. And then on Monday, following the flight home, some opportunity to study the film, all the meetings, Joseph stood up and he defended Simeon and made it known that he's sticking with him as the starter. Here's what he said. After looking at the film, are you sticking with Trevor at quarterback? Absolutely. He's our quarterback.
0: What are you seeing from him? in order to stick with him. Well, well, it's not what I've seen from Trevor, it's it's the entire unit. You know, no one's perfect. You know, he can't he can't play well if he's not being protected. Okay, in in certain spots. Now, he hadn't been perfect either. He can he can play better, absolutely, but it's not a Trevor problem. It's a unit problem. Okay, and yesterday, our 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 offensive starting point was was -9, -1, -1, -14 when third and long. Uh, probably eight to nine times. You know, we can't operate like that when we are facing two speed rushers and we're behind the sticks and those guys are just causing havoc. You know, that was not the plan. So, again, offensively, our formula is to run the football, okay, play action pass, and to keep us in manageable third downs. That's where Trevor is comfortable. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is, guys, if he's not being, you know, protected, okay. Uh, you know, our the game's not effective, You know, so we have to do a better job as a unit. It's not just Trevor. I mean, he hadn't played perfect. No one's played perfect. But as a unit, if we get better, he will play better. We've seen it. We've seen it. It's proven. So I'm not concerned about Trevor. It's a unit deal. All
1: right, well, So here's my biggest problem with how Joseph is justifying his decision to stick with Simeon. He's making excuses for absolutely... Atrocious QB play, at least dating back two games. And I want to know why. What is causing him so zealously to stick to his guns when the evidence suggests that Simeon is not the same quarterback that he was when the season started? I mean, it's staring him in the face. What he's telling us is that in order for Simeon to be comfortable, in order for Simeon to be effective, he has to have perfect conditions. He's got to have that early lead. He's got to have that productive running game. He's got to have excellent protection, you know, better down in distances, et cetera, and on down the line. Will, perfect playing conditions, and I'm not talking about the weather, rarely presents uh, themselves in the NFL. At a certain point, the onus falls on the quarterback to carry the team to find a way to make plays when things aren't going perfectly according to plan. That's what we saw from Peyton Manning. That's what we see every week from the, you know, bona fide NFL franchise quarterbacks like Phillip Rivers, and even in the AFC West, let's keep it there, Alex Smith and Derek Carr. Trevor Simeon, over the last four games in which the Broncos have lost three, has been unable to do that. And I recognize, I do, that it's not all Simeon's fault, the offensive failures. I truly do. But, Will, Simeon has to be the guy to carry the team at times when things go sideways, not the other way around. I just, I mean, that's the way it is in the NFL. I just don't think
2: that there are that many guys in this league that can care okay we should okay go through it and then let's figure out who are the guys uh that can win without an offensive line or a running game to help them out because there's
1: let's say let's let's put name off names of guys who we think may or may not be able to do better with the broncos offense as currently constituted
2: all right aaron Rodgers. yes tom brady
1: yes of course
2: uh ben roethlisberger Yes. Although he 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 is much better, I should say, when he gets a running game, as everybody is. Yes. Um, I don't want. I can't. I don't know. I think obviously Derek Carr is a better quarterback than Trevor Simeon, but I don't think he's going to succeed without a running game or an offensive line. Just look at the the Broncos and the Redskins games from the
1: Raiders. Let's fire off some of the younger guys who are still kind of making their legend in the NFL. Sure. Say. Let me pose this to you, Jameis Winston.
2: Um. Maybe I mean he has uh, kind of a rare ability to to make spectacular plays, both good and bad. So I, I think that's fair to count. Granted, he is an, a number one overall pick, so that's right, what right. should be expected out of that guy. Marcus Mariota. I don't think no, I don't think he's that guy. Um, he's you. he's pretty. I, I don't want to use the word fragile, but he's not extremely durable. And the nature of their offense is that it's based on uh, Demarco Murray and Derrick Henry, and they also have two really great tackles in Taylor LeJuan and Jack Conklin.
1: But see, and, and one thing I think we need to remove from the equation is where guys were drafted, because at this point, what right. it is, is Trevor Simmons is starting one of 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and so when we're making evaluations, or at least comparing him to other quarterbacks, I mean, that's what he is, He's and he's to his credit, his talent has gotten him that far as a seventh-round pick that frankly would have gone undrafted had Gary Kubiak not stood up, pounded the table, and Elway said, Oh, what the heck, let's spend a seventh-round pick on him. So I agree right. with you, though, on Mariota. I don't think he would be able to help, uh, hold up. I think you'd see a similar type of spiraling down that we've seen lately from Trevor Simeon. But who else? Let's say even some of the younger guys from last year. Let's say Carson Wentz. How do you think he'd hang in a similar situation?
2: Um, I think he's closer to Jameis where he can make something out of nothing. Right. But- if he's constantly not given protection, like if you look at Carson Wentz's stats with Lane Johnson, uh, who's their right tackle, versus without Lane Johnson, it's a world of difference. And it's another thing we talk about, how important that right tackle position is. Yeah, um, Because I don't know. I don't know what NFL teams are going to catch on that having a good right tackle is pretty much just as important as having a good left tackle.
1: Yeah, and in today's NFL, it might even be – or at least in the AFC West, it might even be more important. I mean, definitely, yeah. For crying out loud, the Broncos might get to a point where they have to seriously consider moving Garrett Bowles to right tackle because he's their best tackle. He might even be their best as a rookie offensive lineman because Matt Paradis, you know, he's solid. He's been, he's been solid this year, I'll give him that. But he hasn't been the same player that he was the last two years. I hope that changes. I hope it doesn't have anything to do with his hips, but I digress. Maybe will the answer is, and I heard uh, I've, I've heard some buzz on this. The possibility the Broncos could be checking on Houston's tackle Dwayne Brown, who is held out from all activities. You, if the Broncos could find a way to get Dwayne Brown in Denver, you could all of a sudden that would free them up to do whatever they wanted. They could either keep Bowles on the left side or move Bowles to the right side, keep Dwayne Brown there at left tackle, protecting the blind side. I do think though, Will, they got to do something because. Yeah. Who no matter who the quarterback is, right tackle has been a sieve. And to use Joseph's own words, it's it's unacceptable.
2: I agree. I mean, we heard a ton of rumors out of uh, Buffalo too regarding I think Cordy Glenn and then I can't remember what the name of their right tackle is. But yeah, if you can get a guy like Dwayne Brown, I know Joe Staley's been tossed around, and I don't know if Joe Staley's you know the best tackle in the NFL anymore like right. uh, he was one of the top five guys earlier in his career and we know San Francisco is kind of doing their little fire sale thing where they're trying to uh, <clears throat> get out with the old in with the new type of thing <laughs> under Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch but that might be something to take advantage of but you have to do something and men like Watson while I think he's better than Alan Barber uh, I don't think that's saying much to say that you're better at your full time job than someone is filling in for you um, but even Menelik Watson just kind of, you know, as the as the the flatline standard at right tackle is pretty terrifying um, as a full time guy. So, you know, I, I think they kind of swung and missed in free agency, uh, and you know, it, it's getting to the point where getting a good tackle is almost like getting a good quarterback, where there's just so there's so yeah. few and far between that when you see one, you have to jump on it. And you can't just trot anybody out there because it's it's going to seriously affect your offense, and we've seen that for the last three years.
1: Absolutely, and there's no getting around it. I mean, the Broncos offensive line, whether it's Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, or Paxton Lynch, have to get their you-know-what together. I mean, it's, it's untenable uh, the way they've been performing, at least the last— Two weeks, and you could really dial it all the way back to that week three road trip to Buffalo. And we still have a lot to get to, including uh, Step Your Game Up and the Mile High Mailbag. A lot of questions this week. But first, we want to once again say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. Site members can make picks against real spreads, real lines, and totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as college sports, and compete for great prizes, courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, totally free, and most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. Instead of the typical head-to-head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform, that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. MyBookie is not a gambling or a play for money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games, predicting scores, and competing for free prizes without risking any money. Just like the Office Pick'em contest, Fantasy Football, MyBookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement to watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It is fun, and for no cost, you get to make predictions and qualify for prizes again. The service is absolutely free for all users, and we say thank you to MyBookie for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, we're going to get to a few of your questions here in just a minute, but before we do, it's time for Step Your Game Up. Well, coming off yet another loss, the options are replete with guys who need to turn the ship around, and it's not all Trevor Simeon. You start us off, Will. It can be a player, it can be a unit, a position group, a coach. Who needs to step it up this week in Kansas City?
2: Yeah, so we haven't really talked about it so far, but um, the special teams gave up that first touchdown. And that was probably one of the the more uh, just mundane, casual, easy punt return touchdowns I've ever seen. Uh, Wendy's new French toast sticks are so delicious, some are saying that they're better than their mom's breakfast. Excuse me.
0: But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022
2: Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. In my my decade or plus of watching NFL football, so I'm going to go with Brock and the special teams. Um, I don't know if that punt return was necessarily all on Brock because Riley Dixon hit a punt that was just god awful and it's not that it was short or anything it's that it was low uh and it one hopped right into travis benjamin's hands in the middle of the field and so it got there quickly uh the the coverage was not good but the coverage was also not there yet so that made matters worse um i don't think travis benjamin touched or anybody touched travis benjamin on his way to the end zone i don't think so um i think you know this might be hyperbole uh but i think jim leonard probably could have scored on that one uh that might be uh, that actually might be uh, going a little crazy give travis benjamin a little bit of credit he's been a bronco
1: killer over the last Dude, two he's, years he's fast and you're right man his best performances thus far seem to come against the broncos yeah just like antonio gates um so yeah
2: i'm gonna give it to Brock broccolivo he really needs to step it up against his old team next week the kansas city chiefs because they have a kick returner that's a little bit better than even travis benjamin and his name is tyree Hill and he's already he's, speaking of bronco killers Oof. um he might be you know public enemy number one right now in denver colorado because he had his way with the broncos last year in every way imaginable mm. uh, ran for a touchdown caught a touchdown uh, returned a punt for a touchdown, a, a safety kick, I think, actually, um, and then in the Christmas game had a long touchdown again, I think, on a screen pass from Alex Smith. So
1: he's like he's the, uh, he's like the new and improved Dante Hall. You guys remember him, Dante Hall? Yeah. Of course. Oh my lord.
2: Yeah, he, he's terrifying. Um, I would compare him to maybe Trindon Holiday if he. Was a good receiver and didn't fumble, I think, is the only way I know how to put it. And that's like an all-world player if you can put all those things together. So definitely Brock Olivo needs to get better. Um, Special teams
1: absolutely has to play well if the Broncos have any shot on Monday night. Special teams, step your game up. For me, I'm going to point towards the offensive line. And it's not to uh, make excuses for Trevor Simeon per se, but listen – I mean, Will has a very valid point. Anyone with eyes can see it. They've been a sieve. And even Garrett Bowles, who has played very well for most of the season. I mean, he's going to have lapses. He's a rookie. And in their defense, I'll say this for the Broncos offensive line, if you go back and look at each matchup they've had thus far, the edge rushers have been ridiculously talented. I mean, the, there's a reason why you hear uh, you know, the broadcast talk about Denver's strength of schedule. I mean, they're playing mostly really good teams, and mostly really good teams have excellent edge uh, rushers. And so the Broncos have tried to roll with those punches, mostly to poor results. Now, coming out of such a humiliating loss, I would hope that the Broncos' offensive line takes exception to what's being said about them. In fact, I heard many a conversation today, both on social media, uh, Denver radio, about the hit that Trevor Simeon sustained from Melvin Ingram. I mean, as bad as that was, again, would have killed yours truly. As bad as that was, why didn't we see any Bronco offensive lineman getting fired up? I mean, Garrett Bowles, we hear him talk about, you know, the quarterback is like my wife. You don't touch my wife, you don't touch my quarterback. That's all fine and dandy, Garrett, but when the rubber met the road and your quarterback basically, you know, almost got murdered on the field, what happened? I mean, there's a time and a place where your offensive line has to, you know, step up and protect the quarterback, not just between the whistles, but like in that particular situation, I would have liked to have seen someone, I don't care if it's Garrett Bowles, I don't care if it's Ronald Leary, Matt Paradis, you name it, get into someone's face and react with an equal and opposite type of, uh, you know, uh, aggression. That's what we're missing. Not just from the Broncos of the line, but from the whole team. Uh, Offense, I should say. Not the defense. I'm not going to put the defense in that same category. The entire offense right now, they're missing that fire. They need to – and if Trevor Simeon, look, he's the quarterback this week, for better or for worse, and the offensive line needs to coalesce around him, rally behind him, get fired up. I mean, they've, they've become basically the laughingstock of the NFL. And if that doesn't motivate them to turn the ship around, I don't think anything will uh, whether it's a quarterback change or not. Now, it's that time of the week where we take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag. Will and I are honored to be your football priests, and we're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And today's first question comes from Aquaman H2O. His question, Will, I have the feeling we will be 3-6 and six after the next three games. Can the Broncos avoid a defense angry at the offense, a divided locker room? And, Will, it's a question on the mind of many uh, a Broncos fan out there. Your answer for Aquaman H2O, because Vance Joseph remained adamant on Monday that that's absolutely not a problem.
2: Uh, very good question, Aquaman. Um, I would say that the best way for the Broncos to avoid their defense, basically giving them the side eye all week, is just to play better. I think that's the only way. They're, they're not going to uh, make the defense you know, pity them. By looking at the injury report or anything saying oh we didn't have Emmanuel Sanders we don't have a right tackle um, the defense has dealt with injuries of their own definitely this year so um I don't think they're gonna there's gonna be too much sympathy on on the part of the defense so they seem to play well and I know the defense is probably I think a lot of it is they're sick and tired of having to to carry the load for three years running now it used to be the other way around that feels like a long time ago yeah um but I think a lot of it is they're they're trying to get the offense to take it personally and to say, you know what, I, I'm I don't want you calling me out, Chris Harris or Akeem Talib or whoever it is. He used to be Von T.J. Miller. Ward, but Von, Von Miller, it, yeah, if Von Miller's calling you out. You know, you have problems. So um, I think the defense is is kind of trying to to fire them up and egg them on, and they've got to take it personally and they've they've got to respond um, in the best way possible, which is to to put up and to perform.
1: Can the Broncos avoid a divided locker room? The answer is yes, they can, but it's going to require a complete 180. I mean, that's, that's the reality coming out of a shutout. I mean, that's the worst possible outcome that the Broncos could have hoped for after losing to a previously winless team, uh, six games into the season. So, I mean, it's, it's can't, I mean, the only way to go from here is up basically is what I'm getting at. And in order for the Broncos to avoid that that divided locker room or for that to grow into something bigger like it was last year, the offense, I concur with Will, they have to put their foot down. I don't give a damn who the quarterback is. That unit has to collectively come together, get fired up, and say, look, we're going to go out there and prove everybody wrong, we're going to be the bullies, we're going to impose our will. But really what it comes down to, I think, in order for the Broncos to not only avoid a divided locker room but to allow the defense to be who they are and play to their strengths, they got to put points on the board early in the game. They can't wait until the second quarter even. They can't wait until the second half. They have to find a way to make hay early on in games Give themselves a little bit of a lead, even if it's just a field goal, which allows the Broncos' offense to play more to their strengths. Now, moving on to uh, the next question is uh, is kind of a double whammy. It comes from our friend Jacob Smith. He says, "Why is the coaching staff so bullish on number thirteen? And how are the Broncos going to help the interior linebacker position with all the injuries?" Because it's not all about number 13. We have other issues. And it's kind of, again, uh, you know, two-pronged question there. Jacob, who actually bested me in the Mile High Hotel Fantasy League this week. Um, damn you, Jacob. I'll take this one first, though. Well, why are the Broncos so bullish on Simi? And I think, honestly, I mean, I've tried to figure this out today. This is Monday. We're tracking this episode. You know, Vance Joseph came out. Um, and uh, basically defended Simeon and sticking with him at least this week. And I'm trying to wrap my brain around it because to me, now this is my own opinion, I just don't see any reason why at this point <clears throat> you don't turn away from Simeon looking for any kind of spark. That's, that's how bad it's been the last two weeks. So why are they sticking with him? I think it might be because simply they're not confident in Brock Osweiler uh, right now. But if push comes to shove, I think what they're waiting for if they're going to replace Simeon is they'll do it with Paxton Lynch. Osweiler, I think, might be viewed really as just an emergency option by the coaching staff. I mean that's this is this is the road I've had to go down trying to explain, trying to justify where this thing is at. That's the only thing I can think of. You know, Osweiler might not be viewed as an emergency option by John Elway, but perhaps that's how Vance Joseph sees him. That's the only explanation in my mind. The Broncos simply fear I think they're their backup options. As for the linebackers, Zaire Anderson received some praise from Coach Joseph on Monday. Um, he Anderson, that is, relieved the injured Todd Davis in L.A., and he played pretty well. So depending on Davis's prognosis, the Broncos might have to look, though, at adding an off-ball linebacker. If it, you know if he's going to be out a couple of weeks, they're going to have to do something, even though they promoted, uh, what's the kid named, Jarrell, Gerald Garcia-Williams off the practice squad. But, Will, your thoughts for Jacob on the two-pronger. I have to agree with you that if you're going to make a switch
2: and I'm not advocating it at this point, but you know, if we, if we get a week or two more and the same problems um, are happening and the offensive line shows that they're not playing, you know, God awful. And that might be a tough thing to pull off against the Kansas city chiefs. But then I think you would go to Pax and Lynch and not Brock Osweiler. I think Brock Osweiler is kind of redundant at this point. Um, but at least, you know, <laughs> there's still a, a bit of an unknown quantity in, in Pax and Lynch. Um, certainly what we figured out in the preseason um, wasn't super encouraging or anything. But you might as well go in on a guy that's...
1: you, you know, got to learn something got, about
2: him. you got to know what you have in uh, him. Yeah, I was going to say potential, but that's just such a cliche now that someone that's just got a little bit of mystery to them I guess and a little bit of athleticism and even if he's you know look like Brock Osweiler is not the guy you want to turn to when you're looking for a finely tuned internal clock at quarterback <laughs> that's um, a good point that's a good yeah point. he's he's not that guy so I don't know why people think he's you know the answer to everybody's question although the backup quarterback's always the most popular guy in town until he actually gets in the game then you realize why he was a backup in the first place um but at least you know you could make the argument that the pax and lynch would you know duck a guy or two and like evade a rusher and, and get out on the edge and be able to do something with his feet um even if he's you know not seeing the entire field or he's not throwing the ball on time or he's staring guys down, you know, at least he provides something where, you know, you you can get out of a bad situation and and you're not necessarily closed in, uh, if you're not getting a clean pocket, which, they certainly haven't been recently. Um, as far as linebacker, I was really impressed with Saier Anderson yesterday. He was kind of, you know, uh, covering the run from sideline to sideline. So it's it's too bad they lost Todd Davis. Who we should point out that that first goal line stand um, off of that AJ Derby fumble was oh a really really impressive series. Yep. So yeah, the Chargers for some reason decided it would be a good idea to run the ball uh, four straight times. Um, I think. It started, like, inside the five-yard line, I want to say, after that long Hunter Henry reception.
1: And I thought it was interesting, too, how Anthony Lynn on fourth down was putting up his dukes, you know, like, flexing his arms, trying to say to the offensive line, come on, come on, impose your will. The Broncos stuffed him, and to your point, Todd Davis, he was uh, tip of the spear.
2: Yeah, that's the second time Todd Davis has done that on fourth down of the Chargers this year. If you think back to the Monday night game where he stopped him at midfield, they just handed the ball off to to Melvin Gordon, and, and Todd Davis was pretty much there as soon as the ball was, uh, in, in Melvin Gordon's face. So, uh, it's too bad that he's out. Cause I think he's a real playmaker in the run game. Um, and also he is, a, uh, one of the best Sacramento state Hornets <laughs> of all time. So yep. missing Todd, but, um, you know, it's almost hard to like worry about the defense right now, given where things are on offense. Yeah. So uh, um,
1: I think they'll be okay with Zaire Anderson for the time being. yeah, I mean, it it is a blow. He's been their best, you know run blo- a run stuffing linebacker. But uh, I think if it's if it's for a game, you you hope they can get by. The downside is you're going against a phenom like Kareem Hunt. Now, let's move on to uh, Kevin Crumley at cr- uh, Crumley underscore Kevin on Twitter. His question, can we have a thorough, honest review? of lynch has anyone evaluated and given all objective facts two to three year project question mark now will most scouts saw lynch as a two or three year project and we've seen that play out basically before our very eyes uh neither one of us are really the talent evaluator guys going through you know the scout's eye type thing like our uh, counterparts carl and nick but i will say this i think up to this point Lynch has pretty much lived up to most of the projections he received coming out of Memphis.
2: Yeah, so the the book on Lynch was that he was going to be a 2 to 3 year project, and if you look at, you know, his his tape from Memphis, you can just go on YouTube and look at his throws from whatever game you want. The offense that they ran is like it's not even, you know, close to anything that you see in the NFL like it's, it looks more like basketball almost than, than it does football like it's just he really truly was a point guard out there like distributing and, and getting quick passes off and, and really just doing some you know interesting stuff that works I think in Conference USA definitely uh, but isn't going to work in the NFL but obviously he's got a great arm uh, I think his release is not quite where it should be right now uh, he throws off of his back foot a little bit more than I think anyone would like to see. Um, but he's had good he's had good points uh, in the NFL, definitely that Tampa Bay game in the second half. I know Jake Marsing says that that's the best quarterback's <laughs> game by the Broncos in the last two yeah. years, but I don't know. I think that might be a little bit of hyperbole, would, although he was really
1: good. Trevor Simeon in Cincinnati was the best quarterbacking we've seen in the last two seasons.
2: Yeah, well, I would even go to, like, Trevor Simeon in the second half against Kansas City in that Sunday night loss. I, I was uh, thinking that as too, mine,
1: but there were, uh, like, two that I can think of off the top of my head just busted coverages that really helped him. I mean, and to his credit, he took advantage of him. You're supposed to take advantage of busted coverage, and he did.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, i got to give Trevor Simeon credit. Anytime you can run away from Justin Houston and, and go sideline to sideline and then throw a touchdown, I I think, you know, you, you ought to be commended for that. Um, but going back to Lynch, we saw a little bit of regression in the preseason, which I think was troublesome, but we have to remember he's not, uh, I don't want to say that he's you know he's not intelligent, but he's certainly not Peyton Manning. I don't think he's Trevor Simeon as far as breaking down film, which is not necessarily the worst thing. Like, you know, Terry Bradshaw is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game, and he's not. You know, he's certainly not Peyton Manning
1: in the film room, and I don't know if Ben Roethlisberger is either. I was just going to bring that up, or, or any Ro- of those guys. Ben Roethlisberger struggled quite a bit uh, with the uh, mental or intellectual aspects of playing quarterback in the NFL early on, and had to yeah. lead with his physicality and I think if Paxton Lynch is ever going to make it in the NFL he's going to have to follow a similar suit because he has all the measurables that you look for he has athletic explosion I think really what we saw in the summer was a quarterback who just got into his own head and until he just lets all that go until he just dumps the expectations uh, from inside the organization and outside from the fan base I mean the fan base has already dumped it let's face it by this point you know, the vast majority of fans have given up on Paxton Lynch. That's that's what I've seen. But he, if he yeah. just dumps that and just focuses on just going out there and playing football, I mean, and the Broncos structure something around him, I mean, he knows the playbook. That's the one thing that he has going for him is he's, he's been there since day one with Mike McCoy. And Mike McCoy structured some plays for him during the preseason and training camp. They could wheel those back out, trot him back out, see what they could get out of him. But again, once once you're looking at that right tackle situation being so porous, you wonder if it's just a matter of time before you know he re-sprains that same shoulder.
2: I mean, yeah. I mean, you talked about how fans have already written him off. It's way too early. Like, he, he played one year when he was supposed to be a two- to three-year project. Let him be a two- to three-year project. He doesn't have to start right away. He came out of Memphis early. It's just, Gets another year, plays a couple – you know, a couple seasons as this number two guy gets a year under the McCoy system, assuming that they retain McCoy after, you know, after this season, we'll see how that goes. But no, I, I I don't put any credence into fans writing him off. I think NFL fans have about as many rational takes as like the Westboro Baptist church right now. So (laughs) especially this season for some, for some, maybe it's just, you know, the advent of Twitter has has made those opinions uh, more readily available, and certainly they have. But, yeah, not seeing a ton of rational takes, especially when there's a little bit of losing going on and the Broncos have lost
1: two of their last um, – or three of their last four games,
2: well, actually, and, and go back and in to
1: def- Buffalo. So. In their defense, the last two losses have been particularly crippling, humiliating type of losses. But let's move on because we're running a little bit long here. Last question – Uh, coming from Justin Yates. His question is, people saying Oz wouldn't be better, how do you know he would not be? Remember when he took over in the toughest part of our season in 2015, which I think it is a great question because, you know, it's easy to dismiss Brock Osweiler because of the events of the last uh, year and some change uh, from the time he left Denver to his return. And I was just talking to someone else about this on Twitter. I do probably have a higher estimation of Brock Osweiler as a quarterback than a lot of guys, many of my peers. I am of the opinion that he still has something left in the tank and that it's not all over for him. I think when he does finally get an opportunity to play again, whether it's in Denver or elsewhere, I think he's going to do well. I think his experience in Houston, this is my opinion, was more of an outlier than the actual book on Osweiler because he stepped into just a strange confluence of Of circumstances awkward position on a team with a head coach who frankly didn't want him and the two just butted heads throughout Osweiler's uh, one season in Houston and from there the mountain of just that strange momentum built up and followed him to Cleveland after Houston basically traded him away in such an unprecedented fashion and I look back at that Osweiler season uh, of 2015 and I try to juxtapose that with some of the strain that he's gone through since and try and you know, figure out where what kind of player he has left in the tank. And the Broncos are trying to figure that out, too. I mean, John Elway talked about him needing some TLC and some football rehab when they brought him back. But I do think he's a talented enough player that if given a chance to start, he might some uh, surprise some people in a second stint in Denver. Now, for you, Will, your answer to Justin, let's pretend Trevor Simeon doesn't exist. How right. do we know that Osweiler wouldn't be a better option at this point, based on what we saw at least from 2015, the last time he really suited up for the Broncos.
2: I mean, we don't know anything for sure at this point until he gets on the field, um, but I would point out that his main Deficiency, I guess, in in 2015, um, and you saw this a lot when they were losing. Like, think back to the first half of that Cincinnati Bengals game on Monday night. Was he was taking way too many sacks, and he was ta- and he was holding the ball for way too long. Granted, like Simeon now, uh, the offensive line wasn't very good that season, but he wasn't doing them any favors either. So uh, his, like I said earlier, his internal clock is not very good, and the more you get hit, the more messed up that clock gets. So I would say that, I don't think that's gotten any better, um, especially based on uh, his 2016 campaign in Houston. And I think one of the more understated aspects of kind of the, the rise and fall of Brock Osweiler is kind of just the public perception of him. And mm-hmm. we we like to think of athletes as people that can tune out criticism. Right, impervious. Right. But they're not. And especially, you know, guys in their 20s like Brock Osweiler. Yep. Uh, I don't I don't know how I would handle being made fun of on the Internet and, you know, on ESPN and constant, constant meme. The Houston Chronicle. Yeah. Every day for a year. And and granted, he brought some of that on himself for yep. choosing to to go to Houston and free agency and choosing to skip the, the White House visit and all that Right. So he's not, you know, it's not like all this was forced on him and he's making millions of dollars so I don't feel bad for him Certainly. in the grand scope of things, but it's easy to see how he would have lost his confidence. And confidence at quarterback, it's like confidence when you're playing kicker like, you know, you need mechanics, but you also need, you know, the expectation that when you throw the ball, good things are going to happen. Yep. And I think Brock Osweiler lost that somewhere along the way and we saw and he spent <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of the kiss of death when you get cut by the Cleveland Browns and, you know, they don't even want you. He got traded for – he was the first player to be traded along with a pick for cash considerations in the NFL. That's an NBA thing. And the Houston Texans dumped, I think, what was it,
1: a second-round pick? Second-round pick and a fourth or fifth-round pick later on.
2: Yeah, so that's that's a lot to get rid of his contract. That can't be a good feeling to know that teams are offloading right. high draft picks, an early day two draft pick, just to get you off their team and get the contract off of the books and send you to the Cleveland Browns, which is, you know, notoriously been the factory of sadness since they came back to the NFL in 1999. Well, in confidence,
1: it is something that is absolutely requisite to play NFL quarterback. And yeah. I, I wrote about that also today at milehighhuddle.com in this piece. I, I did pros and cons on Simeon, uh, Bench and Simeon for Osweiler. And I think, though, that there is some kind of confidence. Here, here's a silver lining that a guy like Osweiler can take. Now, if he ends up getting called upon, here, here's the upside. He, there, he can take some confidence in getting another opportunity to play for the very same team that drafted him, the very same team that loved him, the very same team that believed in him, the same team who wanted him to be a franchise quarterback for them, and the same team in which he had the only success – I shouldn't say the only – the greatest success, I think, uh, in his young career. So if if confidence is key in a quarterback, which it is, I think that part of that TLC and the football rehab in which the Broncos are giving him – is, is helping to build up that confidence. And I honestly do think if Osweiler does get a chance this year for the Broncos, I do think people are going to be surprised. And, Will, you might disagree with me on that. And, and there's really no empirical evidence to back up what I'm saying. It's just kind of a gut thing, and it'll be interesting to, to see whether or not that happens
2: yeah i mean i would ultimately defer to the coaches on that one just because they see him in practice and and they've got plenty of tape on him to the point where if they really think he's going to help the team win they'll put him in um i don't know if it's about winning in the short term because i don't think brock oswell is a long-term answer for anybody at this point um so if you're giving up on trevor simeon you're pulling the plug might as well go to pax and lynch and see if you have something long term i don't personally think that it's there at this point and I don't know if it's ever going to be. I've kind of changed my tune on Lynch since he was drafted. Which is weird because I, I was kind of one of the the Lynch guys heading into the twenty sixteen season and I was very skeptical of
1: Trevor Simeon and you know, oh oh how the turntables <laughs> Oh how the how the will went hook, line and sinker for the one they call Treasure Simeon.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's something about him. Maybe it's just his, his face. I don't know. It's just a, a Northwestern
1: thing. <laughs> he's just got something about him that's just very endearing. So I think, um, I honestly, I think for guys like you, um, that kind of, I'll, I'll just, you know, don't 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 get butthurt over this. I just mean like Trevor Simeon apologist, let's say, okay? Sure, I think sure. I th- and, and I found myself in this exact same mindset at times often, is we have a natural – penchant for rooting for the underdogs. And that's what Trevor Steen has been. Ever since he came into the league. I mean, he was a seventh-round pick that shouldn't have even been drafted, but he was. Against all odds, he found a way to stick on a roster with two very good quarterbacks as a rookie. And when given a chance to really compete for a job, he put a stranglehold on it. And, you know, it's fun, and and it's easy to root for guys like that. I think the big point of demarcation right now between you and I and the way we view this situation is that, there comes a point where you gotta face reality. And right now, if the Broncos don't find a way to make a change and create some kind of a spark, the season's gonna be over before they know it, and they wasted yet another opportunity to see if they what they had in a first round draft pick now two seasons old.
2: Right. So yeah, and to be clear, like I'm not advocating not upgrading the quarterback position in the offseason. I think that's a, a very good, you know, question that we'll get to and and definitely carl and nick are probably already talking about to each other uh, but no if you can get a guy like i don't know sam darnold josh rosen uh what have you I, I know everybody's big on baker mayfield and and mason rudolph these days or the they're not really my guys i'm more in that darnold rosen camp lamar jackson i have no idea what to think josh allen i think is you know jay cutler 2.0 but and i don't think they're going to get Drew Brees either so i'm talking about the 2017 broncos and all of my trevor simon uh, apology is couched in the context of the regular season right now i always think that if you can upgrade you should do that especially at the quarterback position i don't know if they're going to have the chance to in the draft i don't know if elways going to be aggressive enough yeah maybe he will you know and maybe it's worth it uh, it's certainly scary when you're mortgaging the future of the team on a, a guy who is unknown. Um, But that's a question that we'll have to get to later. But, you know, I should, yeah, it's worth clarifying that, you know, we're talking about the context of, you know, the first half of the 2016 season for the three or 2017 season for the three and three Denver Broncos.
1: Yep. Well, it's been a good uh, podcast. Good episode. Thanks everybody for the questions. Uh, We'll hit you up on the other side following the week eight game against the Kansas city chiefs. And that episode will be, the 100th in the history of the huddle up podcast so we'll try oh and, yeah will and i think it's something uh, special to do for that episode but before we get out of here we also want to say thank you to our sponsor audible guys go get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up you get over 180 thousand different titles to choose from for your iphone android kindle or mp3 player it's a great way to support us we work really hard to bring you this podcast each and every week, and uh, it's, we need your support in more ways than just listening. By this point, you're listening to this show. You're a loyal listener. You're subscribing. This is a great way to support the show and our efforts. Plus, it's a service, I'm telling you, is awesome. You're listening to podcasts because, obviously, you enjoy the uh, audio medium, and with Audible, you get to listen to books Maybe you don't always have time to sit down turn the pages, but it gives you an opportunity to listen to very well-produced and crafted audiobooks, and you get a free book. If you don't like it, after 30 days, you cancel. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, give it a shot. Now, that's all the time we have for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse at WillKeys6, myself at Chad N. Jensen. Uh, Continue to tweet us your questions, and and we'll try to address your concerns on the show. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the Chiefs game by Thursday morning. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile-high huddle.